Hi, everyone. I'm so happy that you've joined us for church today. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. I wonder how many of us just wish at some moment in our life that God would just show up, like right in front of us. We could see him and talk to him and ask him about what we need. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but there are times when I just say, Jesus, could you just come to my office for like five minutes? I have a couple questions. I have some problems that I'm not totally sure how to resolve, and I'm certain that you could resolve them. And if you just came here and we briefly chatted, you could tell me everything I need to know, and then I would know exactly what to do. Maybe you're here today and you don't even believe in God. You're not even sure whether or not he exists, but certainly, if he appeared to you, you could see him, you could hear his voice, then you would say, okay, I, I might believe then. We just say, God, God, just give us a sign. If you just show us whether we should go this way or that way, just tell us exactly what we should do. We'll do whatever you ask. If you were here with us last week, we looked at this amazing moment when God showed up just like that and spoke directly to Moses. He saw him. He heard his voice. And God revealed himself to Moses. So much about himself through his name and through his character. We saw that the name of God defines who he is and what he has done. The name of God takes on incredible depth of meaning throughout history as we see all of the things that he has done. And it gives more and more meaning to the name that God had revealed to Moses on the mountain. This moment where God is with Moses is the first time that's recorded in the Bible that God speaks his name to a person. And his name says so much about who he is. We translate it Yahweh, which means I am who I am. God has no beginning and no end. God is eternal. We saw him unfold not only his name, but so, so much of the content of his character. That God is eternal. He demonstrated to Moses in this experience that he is self-sufficient, self-existent. God needs no one or nothing outside of himself to be alive. He is the living God. That's why the bush that he is currently present in is not consumed. When God shows up to Moses in this bush, the bush burns but does not, is not consumed. We saw that God is holy. God tells Moses to take off his shoes for the place he is standing is holy ground. Simply by his presence, God has made this place holy. God demonstrates that he knows everything. He is all-knowing. He knows everything before it even happens. So we can trust in his promises because he knows what will happen in the future. And he is also all-powerful. God shows that he has control over everything and ultimate authority. Even this mighty empire of Egypt, with all of its wealth and power and prestige, is ultimately under the almighty power of God. And he demonstrated through this experience of coming to this mountain and speaking with Moses that he is with us. He has left heaven and come down to earth and revealed himself to us. He is the God who makes himself known. So God has appeared to Moses in this miraculous way, in a bush that isn't consumed, 
Moses is hearing the audible voice of God. And God has demonstrated his power, his authority. He's told Moses all about who he is, and then he asks him to do something. That sounds pretty great, right? Like exactly what we would want to happen when we have a problem, that God would tell us exactly what we should do. Reveal who he is, and then we'd say, I'm in, God. We've got this. Let's go. It's what so many of us wish would happen. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, sitting in the pocket in front of you. It's helpful for you if you follow along with us as we teach the Bible so you can confirm if this is what you see that God is teaching you, if this is what God is saying. If you don't have a Bible, that Bible there is our gift to you. We want you to be able to read the Word of God, to know what God has said, to understand it. So Exodus chapter 3. We're going to continue looking today at this incredible interaction between God and Moses. And if last week was the revelation of God, today is the reaction of Moses to what God has asked him to do. In verse 10 of chapter 3, he says, Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is exactly what we want, the definitive call of God. He tells Moses exactly what to do. And how does Moses respond? He's he's like, I'm in. We got this. Let's go, God, right? In the presence of God, revealed to Moses exactly what God wants him to do, and he's all about it. Is that what happens? Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Who am I, Moses says. So what is this reaction that Moses has to God's call on his life? Is is this just a humble servant of God not thinking too highly of himself? Like, oh, who am I, God? There are millions of other people that you could call to do this job. Who am I, little old me? Or is it more like, who am I, you couldn't possibly mean me. Oh, but, but if you insist, God, I will go. Is, is it like false humility? Is that what Moses is saying in this question? I don't think so. I think Moses is saying something more along the lines of, me? Do you know who I am? Do you remember what I've been through? Do you remember my past? What I've done? I don't think Moses here is humble. I think Moses is broken. I think Moses is grappling in this interaction with God with deep-seated feelings of inadequacy, which is, I think, the place where many of us find ourselves. Who, Who am I? I'm not all that impressive, God. Why would you call me? I I don't know what to do here. I don't feel suited to this problem that I'm facing. Now, am I just reading into the text? Do you see this in Moses? Look look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Moses answers God, But behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say that the Lord did not appear to you. Do you see an adequacy in Moses? They won't believe me. Or listen to my voice? 
They'll say, the Lord didn't appear to you, Moses. All these people, the people of God, they know what I've done. Why would they listen to a guy like me? I'm a fugitive. You want me to go to Egypt, God? I was a failure there. I'm on the run from that place. For 40 years, I've been hiding from what happened in Egypt. And you're asking me to release my people from the clutch of Pharaoh? I already tried that. Haven't you read chapter 2 of my book, God? Look at what happened in verses 11 and 12. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This is 40 years prior to God meeting Moses on the mountain. And Moses had left the palace that he had been raised in. And he saw the affliction of his people. He saw the ways they were being bitterly oppressed by Pharaoh and his underlings. And it enraged him. And he took things into his own hands. He killed a man 40 long years ago. And he even thought he had done it secretly. It says he looked this way and that. Like, does anybody see me? And then he kills him and hides him in the sand. And he thinks he got away with it until the next day when he goes out and speaks to some Hebrews. And they say, you're not the boss of us. Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And then there was a price put on Moses' head. So he fled. For the last 40 years, Moses has been a wanted man. Besides God, he says in verse 10 of chapter 4, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. God, you need a diplomat if you're going to release your people from the clutch of Pharaoh. I'm not up for it. I don't have that skill set. I'm not really a good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I don't have the skills that you need. I mean, thanks, but, but no thanks. Now, maybe to us, some of these reactions even seem reasonable from Moses. Perhaps he's right that the people wouldn't listen to him given his past, given everything that they knew about him given who he was, a fugitive, running away from the law. And to be fair, a lot of people don't like public speaking. Maybe he had other skills that God could have used. He could have asked somebody else. Why not Moses? I, I just don't think that's the issue for Moses. I think the real issue is found in verse 13 of chapter 4, when he says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Just send someone else, God. I'm done with that. That was a lifetime ago. I'm not up for it. Not me. Send someone else. Why would Moses react this way to God's call on his life? Acts chapter 7 has some amazing insight into the motivation of Moses. It's a speech that Stephen, who was one of the earliest followers of Christ and the first Christian martyr, spoke about the Old Testament prophets and Moses in particular. His speech was so compelling in the place where he spoke it that people rose up and stoned him to death because of the outrageous claims that he made about God and about his son, Jesus. And he hearkens back to this story, to this experience of Moses in Acts chapter 7. 
and says that Moses supposed that his brothers, his people, the people of God in Israel, would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. That 40 years ago, prior to this call of God directly on his life, Moses had sensed mysteriously that there was some unique call of God on his own life. That perhaps God had equipped him had prepared him to rise up and deliver his people from bondage. And what did he do? He took it into his own hand. He took matters into his own hand, took it out of the control of God, and said, I'm going to handle this on my own. I don't know if you know anybody like this, but Moses was the kind of guy who based his confidence on his own competence. He was the kind of person who said, I got this, I can handle this. And then, when he discovered he wasn't quite as competent as maybe he had originally thought, it crushed him. And it sent him away into 40 years of disappointing exile. I'm sure he said so many times to himself, I I could have been someone if I hadn't blown it back in Egypt. And maybe this failure defined him. He just couldn't let go of it. And so because his competence had failed him, he had lost all confidence. Now he just thought of himself, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not eloquent enough. Moses isn't the only one to feel like he's not good enough, right? We all feel this from time to time. Feelings of inadequacy as we're confronted with a situation in our family. Like, I, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to parent this child. I, I don't know how to love my spouse in this moment. Or scary moments of a diagnosis. God, I'm not up for this. I, I don't have the strength to get through this. Problems at work with colleagues or a job loss people in our life who we long that they would know Christ and they haven't yet turned their hearts to him and we pray and pray and just say, Lord, I I can't do this. For whatever reason, we often carry feelings of inadequacy. It could be like Moses, a past failure. It could be that we just don't feel super successful or all that talented. We look at other people and just feel like we're in their shadow of everything that they have accomplished. And just in general, life and its experiences have a way of knocking us down at times. So where do all these feelings come from? It can come from our past. It can come even, I think, sometimes from a reasonable assessment of ourselves. I, I just don't have the skills to deal with this problem that's ahead of me or this situation that God might be calling me to. It, it can be the other way, though, too. I think like the way that Moses had responded 40 years ago where we can be so overconfident because of how competent we are. I mean, Moses looked at himself and said, I've been given the greatest education that the Egyptian empire can offer. I've been raised in luxury. I speak multiple languages. I certainly am the one who could step into this situation and deliver God's people from bondage. I'm the chosen one. 
God has a plan for my life, Moses said, and it's about time that I made it happen. But fast forward 40 years and he says, but not now. I once had those skills and abilities that maybe were needed, but not anymore. That, that was a lifetime ago. Not now. Not me. I think we could summarize Moses' reaction to God's call in this way. He starts by saying, who? Me? And then he says, they won't believe me. And you know what, God? Speaking isn't really for me. And then finally, God, just send anybody but me. What's Moses' ultimate problem here? Moses has a me problem. And what does God do for Moses' me problem? Does he say, oh, come on, Moses. You've got this. You are highly educated. You're prepared for this. You have so much life experience to bring to bear in this. You, you just need to think more highly of yourself, Moses. Come on, you can do this. Look inside yourself. You were made for this. No, God doesn't appeal to Moses' self-esteem or his competence. Instead, God gives Moses exactly what he needs, which is God himself. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. God responds to Moses saying, who me? By saying, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But I will be with you, Moses, all of me. All of the character traits that I've revealed to you here on this mountain. All of my holiness. All of my self-existence. All of my self-sufficiency, that there's nothing outside of me that I need to exist. All of my power, all of my knowledge, I will bring all of it to you, Moses, and I, the great I am, will be with you. Are you enough, Moses? That's the wrong question. Am I enough, God says to Moses. Am I enough for you, Moses? I am who I am, will be with you. We need to be reminded that our confidence doesn't rely on our competence, but on the capacity of God. The unlimited capacity of God. Which means that we, we don't depend on our own abilities. We don't look to ourselves for strength and confidence. We don't ultimately determine our destinies. We look to the one who promises that he will be with us. And how exactly will God be with Moses? He shows two ways. Through the works of God and through the word of God. Look back in chapter 4 with me to verse 2. The Lord said to him, Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put it back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So here are three works of God that he gives to Moses. First, he turns a staff into a serpent. Second, he takes a a leprous hand and then heals it. And third, a cup of Nile River water that turns to blood when it's poured out. In these works of God, the power of God is on display. His capacity is demonstrated specifically to Moses. In the staff that turns to a serpent, you know, we we might think that maybe Moses runs away from this snake because he wasn't all that familiar with snakes. But he had lived in the desert for 80 years. Moses knows the difference between a snake that you run away from and one that's safe to be around. And when this staff turns into a serpent, it is the kind of snake that strikes fear in the heart of Moses. The cobra was a symbol of power and authority in ancient Egypt. Pharaoh wore a crown that had a coiled cobra around it, and its head was facing outward, ready to strike. It was meant to intimidate to remind his subjects and his enemies that Pharaoh held the power between life and death. We saw a couple weeks ago that Pharaoh is the kind of leader who tries to destroy life and enslave people. Pharaoh is Satan personified for us. And God is demonstrating through this simple staff that turns into a serpent that God has power over Pharaoh. But not just power over Pharaoh, that God ultimately has power over evil, over the forces of darkness that ultimately enslave us through sin. That's what's so incredible about this. Do you, you know, it's a terrible idea to pick up a deadly snake by the tail. Because, I mean, what will happen? It'll swing around and strike you. But God calls Moses to pick it up very specifically by the tail just to demonstrate how much power and authority God has over creation, over governmental authority, and ultimately over evil. He also demonstrates in in these moments that he has power over disease. Leprosy in the ancient world was rampant, and it was a scourge. If you got leprosy, it was a death sentence. And here in this moment, in an instant, Moses sticks his hand inside of a cloak and pulls it out, and God turns it to a leprous hand, which would have been terrifying. If people saw a a leprous person, they ran from him. Most, Most people who had leprosy were ostracized from the community to try and keep the rest of the community safe. It was contagious, and if you got it, it was a death sentence. And here in a moment, God demonstrates his power over disease. At one moment, Moses' hand is leprous. In an instant, it's healed. God demonstrates that he can bring healing and that he has power over one of the most feared things in the ancient world, something that would have caused people to tremble 
and God is in control of it. And then if, if they don't believe these signs, then God tells Moses, show them this one. He says, take a cup of Nile River water and pour it out. And as it hits the dry ground, it will turn to blood. The Nile River was like the definition of life for ancient Egypt. They lived in the desert. And here this beautiful, enormous river flowed through their kingdom, provided life to them. Think of of all the animals that must have been drawn to it, of all the fish that lived in the waters. It was a source of drinking water for them. It It was so revered that they worshiped it. Every year, the the Nile River would bring massive amounts of fertile soil through its currents all the way through Egypt. And they were able to use that soil to farm, to raise crops, to feed their animals, to feed their families. The Nile River was life to them. And here, God is turning something alive into something that is dead and demonstrating His power over life and death. They worship the Nile River, and God is showing that their worship is directed to the wrong thing, that God is the creator, that he holds all things in his hand. It's an extraordinary display of power, and God gives it to Moses that he might be able to demonstrate to the people of God that God is with him, that God did appear to him, that God did reveal himself to Moses, that they might believe. The people of God would have been so familiar with these important symbols of ancient Egypt. They lived in that place. They lived amongst the people. They knew what a snake meant. They knew what leprosy meant. They knew how important the Nile River was to the kingdom of Egypt. And here God demonstrates his power over all of them through these marvelous works. So what else would he need besides the works of God? Well, remember, Moses wasn't super confident about speaking, so God also gave him his word. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4, the Lord said to him, after Moses has said, I'm not that eloquent, I'm slow of speech and tongue, God responds to him by saying, who has made man's mouth, Moses? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I am the God who speaks. I will give you the words that you will need. I made your mouth. I am the creator of all humanity. I'm the one who determines your destiny. I'm the one who gives you abilities. And I will be with you, Moses. I am the word. And you will speak my words to my people. Now Moses wasn't quite sure about this. He kept pressing in on God, and God was kind to him and gave him his brother Aaron, who became his mouthpiece, and said, if you can't do it, then I will raise up your brother and allow him to speak on your behalf. And and throughout the book of Exodus, we see Aaron speak, and we see Moses grow in his God-inspired confidence. And there are times when Moses speaks on behalf of the Lord to the people of Israel. But God gave Moses his word. The unlimited capacity of God given through his works and through his word, was what Moses was called by God to rely on. And he, along with Aaron, his brother, brings those two things to the people of God at the close of chapter 4. It says, 
Verse 30. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. The people believed and they worshiped. Belief and worship, these are the right responses to the works of God and the Word of God on display. When we see God for who He is, unlimited in power, faithful in His Word, we can live our lives with confidence because of who He is and because He is with us. God is the one who brought His unlimited power to us by raising His Son from the dead by delivering us from evil, by freeing us from the bondage of sin, by giving new life to people who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And this life-giving power of God overshadows Moses' feelings of inadequacy. And the source of his confidence shifts from his own competence to the capacity of God. My friends, if you're here today and and you struggle with feeling inadequate, not fit for the job, in the shadow of others, I just want to remind you that, that this capacity of God has been freely offered to you through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that if you believe in Him, you'll be saved from the power of evil. You'll be raised to new life with Him, and that Jesus promises His helper, the Holy Spirit, who will indwell your heart and live within you so that God will dwell not on the mountain, but in your heart and fill you with everything that you need to meet all of the challenges of your life, to to overcome the problems that you face because Jesus has overcome this world. And he invites us to avail ourselves of, of this capacity of God, of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to turn your hearts like the people of Israel did, in belief, and then worship. Over the next few weeks, we're going to watch as the incredible work of God and the power of God frees His people from bondage. And my prayer for us is that our hearts would just be filled with stronger conviction of belief in God and who he is and worship for all that he has accomplished. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You've demonstrated to us so much of who you are through your word and through your works, God. Pray for all of us in this room, that our confidence would rest in you, God, and you alone. That you would be the one that we turn to when we're fearful. That we would look to for help. That we would seek your face, God, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain and heartache. And when we feel like we're not enough, God, that we would be reminded that you and you alone are enough. God, now our hearts are filled with joy and we turn to you in worship. 
We declare that you are glorious. That you are the eternal God who has left heaven and come to earth. That you are the one before the world was even created. That you had planned to send your son for us. To free us. To liberate us. To save us from that which we could not save ourselves from. We worship you, God, and give you thanks for him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.